Have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you, an exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes with Rodrigo Garcia Platas, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. Hello, everybody. everybody. Welcome back. Happy New Year. First episode back of Biotypical. We hope you guys all had fantastic Christmases, New Year's. I absolutely had COVID in our last episode. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely had COVID. <laughs> and then I got it about a week after that. So yeah. Oh, I like man. to think of myself as super immune now. I went to New York City. It was I was like, I'm gonna spend a week in New York, Christmas time. I haven't been there in six months, and I went. And like the day I hit, it was like New York hits record COVID cases times five. And I was like, well, <laughs> here we go. And let me see if I can dodge this. Nope, got it immediately. So that was my uh, that was my Christmas in New York. Well, I read somewhere that we're getting like a million new cases a day worldwide, yeah. which is crazy. Most most of those are from the U.S. I just yes. want to, you know, credit where credit <laughs> yes. is due. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, I think we're kind of beating around the bush here. We are bringing on, I think, one of the coolest guests that we've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> we're starting uh, 2022 off on a real peak, and uh, we're going to just struggle to match this for the rest of the year. So here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, some of the patrons here are, are finally realizing uh, who our guest is today. Charlie guesses Jelaine Maxwell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Entirely incorrect. Finally, we got to play Maxwell. Thank God. Um, we have we have actor, uh, voiceover artist, and uh, you may know him. Actually, you absolutely know him from movies such as The Sixth Sense. He's been on Walker Texas Ranger. He's been on countless TV shows. Voices on Family Guy. It's Haley Joel Osment. Haley, thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Nice to see you guys. We're so happy and excited to have you. Like for real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I should also say, Haley's first acting role, you were Forrest Gump in Forrest Gump, right? Yeah. That was my first movie, yeah. Forrest Gump Jr., yeah. 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 <laughs> I just checked his filmography, so yes. <laughs> yeah. Was that Spielberg? Spielberg uh, no, no, no. That's Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. Uh, AI was oh. Spielberg, which yeah. is also Haley. Haley had an. In- Haley started a little bit younger than most of our friends uh, <laughs> in terms of working in the industry. Um, wow. For, well, yeah. Hold on. First, I think we have to ask the biggest question is what do you think of West Side Story? I still oh haven't God. seen it. I've, I wanted to see it in the in the theaters, and it's that's beautiful. all becoming a, 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 a fantasy to be able to see any of these movies in the theaters. So. I know it's a bummer. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. We all we talked about last <laughs> podcast, guys. West Side Story is so twenty twenty one. Yeah, ah. it is. you're right. Let's move on, guys. There are two movies you got to see in theaters, West Side Story and Jackass Forever. Those are the two that you should brave COVID to go in there and, and uh, uh, ex- have that theater experience. It's so funny seeing, like, I mean, I guess it's part of the, the reason the era we're in right now with COVID and everybody's sitting at home. But, like, the first Jackass was such a you know, upsetting thing for so many people and was so controversial. And now the trailer for the most recent one, people are like, I'm just crying with nostalgia. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched it and I was like, actually crying. And I was like, this is so funny. And like, everyone agrees, like, this is beautiful. And it's like, like 15 years ago, everyone was like, the most dangerous thing that's ever been made. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's how far we've sloped as a society, right? Like, now we're getting into the point where people are, jackass is art. And like, finally, they're being understood. I can't believe they're all still alive. Well, aside from the one. They're not. Yeah, they're they're not all still alive. But the one that passed away, passed away not in a very jackassy way. 
Like, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, he was jumping off a cliff and he got impaled by a shark. Like, there wasn't anything. It wasn't filming like, Jackass. It wasn't, yeah. yeah none yeah, of the stunts stunt. that resulted in it, yeah. Yeah. There is something I don't, I, it's not to say that there's a necessarily inherent difference in the genders, but every time the Jackass trailer is on and there's, like, a group of people, I feel like every guy is like, uh, it's like crap, <laughs> guys. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're, like, an aggro dude or, like, like me, like, a really sensitive boy. We're like, whoa. I've had like girlfriends who are like, why, why are you into this? And I'm like, I can't explain it. It's just, I want to. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Haley, um, Brian said, like when we were talking about, like, I think you, you went to a, uh, like a Friendsgiving or something. And he's it was like, Aaron's just, Friendsgiving. Aaron's, Aaron, yeah. Aaron, who was on, a friend of the podcast, Aaron went on, uh, had a Friendsgiving. Brian was there. Haley was there. And afterwards, Brian was like, Haley is like, He's just the most open, coolest guy that has, like, a ton of cool stories. Yeah, I, I've always thought you, it was so interesting, Haley, because, like, obviously you had such a specific childhood, and we all know that, like, having a childhood like that can turn, you know, it's, it's, it's brought down the best of them. But you seem to have, like, come out on the other side in a way that is so, um, you seem very clear-headed and level-headed about, like, your life and what you do. And, and I, I've, I've always just been so intrigued by how you, um, you seem to operate, uh, with a lot of like joy and you don't seem to have like that ego that is sort of often attributed to people with, uh, your early lifestyle or you're just hiding it real well. <laughs> I guess in other words, how did you survive the, I'll chew you up and spit you out machine that Hollywood is. I got really lucky in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we were talking about some of those directors that I'd worked with. I think a lot of the kids who had more trouble in the industry worked on film sets that weren't necessarily healthy environments. And mm. I think part of, uh, partly because of that, a lot of the directors that I worked with, a lot of the producers, a lot of the, the on-set environments, people were very, very concerned with, you know, the well-being of the children and making sure that it was a, a safe environment and a healthy environment. And there weren't any of those mind games that I think that can be played with, with younger actors in, in certain uh, situations. And then that combined with the fact that I had two parents who were, had a healthy suspicion of the industry and like, that's so good. <laughs> uh, but well, I, I think we were talking about this. Like I, other than the stuff that I did on set, like, you know, in premieres and stuff, there was no going to Hollywood functions or things like that. Really. Like I was just in school or going on set. So my relationship to it was purely through, uh, you know, or mostly through, uh, just the work that I was doing on set and rehearsing and studying scripts. And that I think is, um, something that can be in your life a lot longer than if you get caught up in the publicity aspect of it and the fame aspect of it, which I think everybody in my family always tried really hard to avoid, which I think is probably the biggest factor. And then just a, from a historical perspective, I don't know if I would have had as good an experience had I come of age with social media being a factor because it was not a factor when no. I was growing up. It had just gotten started when I went off to college and was working less for a couple of years. So that never, that, that, element of overexposure and people feeling like, you know, just being observed all the time. That was really not my experience with it in those formative years. And I think that really made a difference. How, how old were you when you did the sixth sense? Because that was like truly the big break, right? That was the thing that, that made you kind of uh, an international known figure, right? That was, yeah, I had done some network television and a couple movies before, but yeah, that was a whole different ballgame when, when that film came out. And I was 10 when we shot it and 11 when it premiered. In so that's, that's such wow. a crucial time. We talk about how personality is, is truly developed, at least from, from a psychological standpoint, between 11 and 13. 
So that is really interesting that 11, you know, right as the personality is kind of getting formalized, your life shifts in such a huge way. That's funny that it happens in such like awkward times, like going into to seventh grade. The or worst something. possible know, time. Like, yeah. All these cameras on, you're like, please don't look at my body right now. Yeah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, you were nominated for an Academy Award at age 11, right? Uh, that's right, yeah. That is, wow. I can't imagine what that news is to hear as an 11-year-old actor. Like, yeah, it. It's, it's, I mean, and it's, it's fun because I had my first meeting with, with uh, Steven Spielberg for AI right before those nominations got announced. And I remember him telling me, he's like, you know, if you end up going to the Oscars, just watch how even these big, you know, uh, big name actors that, you know, all these celebrities, everybody is just as excited as you are and is running around to meet their favorite actors. And (laughs) there is a nice thing going on that journey because it's a long uh, process of promoting it and then going to all those award shows and everything. And you just are on this ride with a bunch of people. And, you know, a lot, you know, the feeling is everybody just sort of not even really believing what's, what's happening and the people you get to meet and the places you get to go. And I think just not getting too used to that and having it be that, you know, amazing experience was, was part of getting through it as a kid and not getting overwhelmed by it. Probably. Your yeah, parents I, are smart. They are. They are. I really got to thank them for everything. My mom's a yeah. sixth grade teacher. And then my dad uh, ran a theater in Los Angeles in the 80s and is an actor himself. And so doing these projects, you know, my memory is mostly of working with him on learning character study and all wow. these things. And like, it was a really, a really fun thing to get to do with your dad. So this is a question, as I've been thinking about you coming on, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. So, so one of the things that we've talked about on this podcast before is, <clears throat> pardon me, the power of the subconscious. And how, especially as an actor, when like if you were to say have uh, be a stage actor and you're you know doing a show that's running for months and in every show you know your wife dies or your child dies, your subconscious doesn't know the difference between uh, your your you know pretending this thing versus you know when you're when you're acting you're really feeling something. It's almost like you're having these these experiences within your body as if it's true. Your subconscious is believing that it's happening. So a lot of things that can happen to actors over time is their subconscious carries the weight of every role that they've ever played or dove into. Um, have you, I don't know, this is like a bit of a leading question, but have you noticed anything um, with, with different roles as you come out of them based on your own mental health? Russ, are you trying to test Khodorovsky's theory? <laughs> I mean, I believe it. I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen what it can do on the other side of things. But I mean, like here we have someone that from a very young age yeah. took on some very heavy roles, right? So True. If, if we have, you know, a, a 9, 10, 11 year old um, experiencing it within their subconscious something that is so, you know, powerful uh, because, you know. Like he saw okay, dead to, people. To, to, make it, to make it fair and not grab him blindsided <laughs> yes, about please, all of this, thank you. Save let's, me. let's explain the, the actual theory. So Alejandro Jodorowsky, the creator of Psychomagic, uh, explains that, okay, to, just brief explanation. It was Freud that started describing the unconscious, but, but it was Jung that started describing the subconscious. And the difference for me, like the easiest way to distinguish them is, the, the unconscious is a little bit more passive and Jung's idea of the subconscious is very active. It's like everything that's happening uh, in your subconscious system is still ruling your life in many ways. And Khodorovsky used to say, well, he still says it, that 
um, our subconscious mind cannot distinguish between acting something and actually going through it. And he actually explains, he's a, he's a movie director too. And he actually explains that, that especially theater actors that, that portray something very traumatic on stage, uh, are actually hurting their subconscious because if you are doing a play where your kid dies and you play it a hundred times, then your subconscious went through that event a hundred times. You just lost a hundred kids. And, and, and according to psychomagic, that starts kind of changing the way you create your identity and also the way you interact with other people. Uh, yeah. And I think there was something that just happened, uh, online that, that sort of demonstrated a split in how different actors, um, respond to that and approach that, you know, that, the interview with, uh, or that, that, uh, article about Jeremy Strong, where his methods yes. are kind of analyzed. And then in contrast, you have someone like Brian Cox, where there's a, a big separate, there's a big sort of turn it on, turn it off thing. Although that's really probably a simplification of, of his technique, mm-hmm. but different. And I love that, well, you know, just as an aside, I love that one show can, can be big enough to have all those styles be, you know, coexisting yeah. yes. in the same place. It's probably what makes it such a, such a great show among other things. But yeah, I mean, you, you, I think you do have a choice with how deep you let yourself get into into those things and get into the trauma that the characters uh, are experiencing. Um, I think that I was helped, um, you know, as a, as a kid, because doing something like The Sixth Sense, I mean, as a kid, like you, you bounce back faster because seeing these depictions of violence and death, I don't have any real real world experience with that yet. It's not bringing mm-hmm. up anything from my past that, that is traumatizing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it truly, and I do not remember shooting The Sixth Sense as a, overly heavy experience we had a lot of fun on that movie and there's just a weird thing in acting where when you achieve the emotion of a scene even if that's you know a character going through something brutally traumatic there's kind of this big endorphin rush though because you you accomplished you nailed it, you know? it yeah it makes you get it sends you on these big you know roller coaster yeah. rides of emotion i have not had an experience where i walked away from a film feeling drained or worse off because of that uh but i know that that can definitely happen to people um, but yeah, it's just for me, like the, some of the t- most difficult subject matter that I approached, uh, it felt, I didn't really have too much trouble distinguishing between myself and a world that felt like, you know, that we were inventing that was, that was imagination. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an evolving technique and I think different things work for different people and even for the same person on different movies. But, uh, I, I'm lucky that I don't think I ever had an experience where I was like, that was, that was too much for me. <laughs> I have two things to say. First, you are so sanguine, my friend. Like, so sanguine. You're my sanguine brother. I'm so excited about this. I'll explain that whole thing in a minute. But everybody listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. But you're very sanguine. I'm sanguine, too. So that, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, first thing. And second, in your first, like, brief explanation of the whole thing, you kind of validated psychology. Um, which is yes. like, if, if you guys, <laughs> yeah, if you guys like, have been through, <laughs> yeah, literally like if, if you, if you've taken any type of workshop or, or therapy with me in the past, well, or, or coaching session with me in the past, um, you know, that we always go through this explanation of how, if you don't really have an interpretation or a reference when you're young and you go through something pain is pain and it doesn't really mean anything and danger is danger and it doesn't really mean anything it doesn't become trauma until later on when you give it a weird interpretation that starts defining your identity and your life and you just described it from the other side beautifully Haley. thank you 
I'm yeah, so it's glad. kind of an amazing point because, like, I, yeah. when you said that idea that, like, you know, as a kid, you didn't have anything to relate the trauma to, so it wasn't as intense. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. You would think, like, oh, we have to protect kids from saying these things or doing these things, but at the same time, if they don't really have a history of trauma associated with it, they could perhaps handle it better than a lot of adults could who are necessarily going to draw those connections to painful events in their life. And yeah. that's one of the parents. Sorry, sorry. I was going to say, uh, Patton Oswalt has a fantastic bit about his daughter, like turning on the TV and it being the Wolfman and him changing the channel, oh, yeah. being like, oh my God, this is going to scare her. <laughs> and he puts on like Schoolhouse Rock that had like a skeleton talking about the bones. And then that night she's like screaming and she's like, he's like, what's wrong? What's he's thinking? Oh my God, that wolf scared her. It got into her mind, whatever. And she's like, my skeleton's going to come out of my body. And, I'm, you know. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 it's fine. And then she starts laughing and then He's like, what's so funny? She's like, that doggy was wearing clothes. <laughs> so the, the thing that he was so worried about affecting her was the thing that yeah. like cheered her up in the end. It's all about context and frame of reference. And what becomes extremely important after the fact is, is being careful with what type of interpretation the child is being exposed to. Because people can go through the most dramatic things. And if there's no stage in life afterwards where you give it a specific meaning that's like destroying the possibility of a healthy life or a healthy relationship, then it never becomes a problem. Like we see this all the freaking time when people talk about any type of sexual abuse or any type of emotional abuse. It's always about the interpretation that was created years after if this was something that happened in childhood. And our job as, as coaches and therapists Therapist is always being able to distinguish the interpretation and not try to deal with the event itself because events don't break people interpretations do i think about that with like people who go to war right like some guys go to war and like kill a hundred people they're like yeah. fuck yeah and like they become like they're given medals and like they live the rest of their life thinking they're heroes someone else goes and kills one guy has ptsd and then ends up for know, the rest of their lives yeah yeah, it's like the same event, but depending on who you are and how you interpret, you know, something that, you know, we all consider to be, you know, whatever you are in your head, you consider to be one thing. Everyone's such a different interpretation of what that means. And it can be a glorifying thing for one person and the worst thing in the world for someone else. It's really And it's the exact same event. And yeah. it can happen to people in a movie set too. Like we know stories of people that went through a movie and are perfectly he fine pleasure. and other people that were in the exact same set and it destroyed their lives. Well, that's why I think it's so good that we're talking about social media not being around because like, it, yeah. say like Haley came of age, you know, and you had social media and you got an Instagram at that age as a kid. And then all of a sudden you're flooded with comments and everything else. And you start seeing what other people your age and everything are saying about you. And you're, you get to your, the meaning you would create from your life. You, your parents wouldn't be able to stop. You would just kind of yeah. like find it and it would just could overtake your life really easily. Yeah. Which is, it's a terrible, uh, like collateral damage of it too, where it's like, even if the person who is in the public eye can handle it, it's also the group of friends and family to have to look at it yeah, and see what everybody's yep. saying. And it's yep. like, you yeah. know, it's bad. But, but on, uh, <laughs> just on that topic, I was just thinking about, I used to be so against social media, probably part, uh, partly for this reason. It just always felt like such a big invasion of, of privacy for me. And then, over time, you know, sort of uh, 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 having an account of my own and everything, it's like, it's weird how the only way that you are allowed to take control of your image is if you engage with these companies. Yep, that's, they've said that paparazzi <laughs> is, uh, like the prices for certain photos of, of celebrities is dropped because you could just get a better quality photo on their Instagram account. 
Yeah. 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 The demand has dropped yeah. because everybody feels like, yeah, it's, it's a weird, weird, weird thing. Yeah. Do you think part of the reason you also got maybe a little lucky, Haley, is, you know, you did Sixth Sense when you were 11 and then puberty hit and you became an adult. So it's like you looked like the Sixth Sense kid for a second yeah. and then you threw in the adult version of you. So it's not like. I never thought of it that way. That is an interesting, that is an interesting interpretation of it. But also just on, on the uh, career side of it, like it was not it was not a great uh career choice to yeah. not work very much in high school and then to go to new york and not really you know be out in la auditioning and everything but that uh era of my life also i think is has helped me continue to love acting and I think to have a pretty healthy relationship with my job because, uh, you know, I, I got to have these experiences in, in my teens and early twenties, a little bit out of the public eye, got a little bit to, you know, I went to, to, to normal school for, for every level of my education all the way up through NYU where I met you guys. And, uh, and I just was really happy that I had to, I got to have that before, you know, diving in, you know, that was a way of me figuring out, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? And it turned out that it was. That's so smart that you like took a break to come back and like, cause then you like came back to film like what, like in your mid twenties maybe or something. Yeah. Wild. There was, there was stuff going on, but like nothing near the, you know, nothing near as, you know, the exposure that the six sensor things had around the world. And then <laughs> right. it was just sort of kind of inter- reintroducing yourself to, to uh, a town where you're only as good as your last project. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the damn truth. Um, yeah. But the good news is that I feel like it's like, you're a rag soaked in oil, so it's like you need a smaller flame to make it erupt again because it's like people <laughs> will remember at least, the, you know, the name. Um, uh, so, someone just asked, was the sixth sense on your resume? I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if you did it before 10, it doesn't count. Yeah. What <laughs> a... I've always wondered this when like, because I think about this all the time, like how many times was like, yeah, baby, yeah, yelled at Mike Myers his whole life. Like if someone has a line that becomes so famous, because you had like, I see dead people. Was that like, was that line like used for the next few years? Like, would people say it to you? Would it it get annoying? Was it It, just? It happened a lot, but like. Luckily, it's a line that's whispered, not yelled. So, like, it was, <laughs> yeah, that's people yelled anyway. But yeah. no, it was you know, like, cool things would happen with it. Like, the AFI 100 quotes put it next to like, uh, "I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore." From wow. now, like one of my favorite movies, and then you know, it, it would so cool. show up on, on having a some player say it for movie trivia at Dodger Stadium or something. Just like odd little places where it would appear. But again, well, you had the Dodgers game when that happened. Yeah, yeah, I was in You're the stands. The You're like, oh, like, wow, this is this is odd. It was it was like watching. A, we uh, just were at the the Pen Fifteen premiere, and they, Maya put a little joke uh, that actually happened to her in real life uh, about me in it. And I was watching. I was going, oh, I totally forgot that we had this in this in this yeah. thing because some doctor told her that she could wear glasses because like I had worn them on the red carpet or something, which is not true. It's regular sunglasses. <laughs> it's weird. The little things pop up. <laughs> okay, I have two things to say. First, it's mind-blowing how well-adjusted and psychologically healthy you are. It's like, so good to hear. I, I, yeah. I, I, I Especially these ex- last 18 months. You never really yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I wasn't expecting this at all because I know people with, I know a lot of people with a small, tiny fraction of the fame that you've had in the past and that you still have today that are 
completely not well adjusted to the world and and cannot really talk to people anymore in an authentic honest relaxed way so that's amazing of you and i really like acknowledge you for that and appreciate it it's Thanks. really like fun talking to you and I, I have another question which is i work with a lot of children too and the development of the of the human brain and the creation of our personality is extremely important to me so i wanted to ask you How did they present you with the information of the role that you were going to play in Sixth Sense? Like, how did they break it to you? How did they explain it? What did they expose you to? What were they were they careful about? I, I feel like that's really interesting. Uh, for someone who makes so many uh, horror movies, Night is a uh, Night Shyamalan who wrote and directed it is is one of the the funniest like you know, good natured people I've ever met. And having, he was 28 when we shot this. So oh, he was wow. practically the that. kid that's himself. Just, We're so hard. old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he was somebody who Most was heartbreaking being, you know, part of this interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's just, let's just finish this episode. Yeah. On <laughs> But he just had, you know, it was, we, We approached it pretty simply, just going on, you know, what my, you know, because my character is being exposed to a world beyond his understanding. He doesn't understand yeah. why it's happening to him. He's just trying to maintain this relationship with his mother and try and not be scared all the time. And my my dad, when we first got the script before I even auditioned for it, had one of the, the best uh, insights to the whole experience, which was really helpful for me. Uh, the entire time was saying, don't think of it as a horror movie. This is a movie about communication. And that's, that's what wow. it is. And mm, it's, you know, my smart. character not knowing how to communicate his, you know, what he's going through to his mother, not being able to communicate to children, his age. And then for all of the spiritual presences that he come in, he comes into contact with that ends up being spoiler alert. Uh, the whole point of it is that he, they have unfinished business and he has to be the medium between them and, and these people that they were unable to communicate with, uh, uh, in regular life. And that's, that was the main thrust of it. You know, each scene, I wish I could remember the details of, of rehearsing for each scene. One thing I know that I, you know, it, it's, uh, I get really nostalgic about it because it's so rare to have the opportunity to do it today is that we rehearsed for like three weeks before we shot any film. That's awesome. Wow. So, and, and yeah, it's just like, you never get to do that these days. And just, uh, you know, going into small groups with, you know, Bruce Knight and Olivia Williams, who played his wife, me Knight and Tony Collette, who played my mother and just, just developing these relationships so that we would know where we were when we got on set. And I think that made all the difference in the world. So it's nice when wow. a studio will, will give the, uh, give the actors and the director that time and space to do that. <laughs> What had don't he do done anymore, right? before that, that he got that kind of leeway? He did uh, a movie called Wide Awake, and his first film, I believe, was called Praying with Anger, which he also played the lead in. But I think I, the, all of the, you know, incredible freedom they gave him was just the script was so good on, on page. Yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. on that set was just like, if we just get out of our own way and just do this script, we're gonna. That's have one of the biggest special. twist endings of all time, too, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. my heart goes out to you, man. You didn't get to experience it the way the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when you're talking about, you know, the lingering effects of of working on a film that had those sort of traumatic elements it kind of had the opposite effect for me where it, all it did was kind of ruin horror movies. Like it's really hard to be scared of, of horror movies for me. I kind of saw how the, the sausage got made. So yeah, yeah, it's it had the opposite effect. 
Let, let me explain to you a little bit about it. Rodrigo called you a sanguine. I want to give you context for what that term means uh, so you don't leave here and cancel us. Um, but <laughs> we, <laughs> um, so, you know, Rodrigo's an expert in something called Unani biotypes and the, the psychological temperament effects of those. Unani biotype stems from, uh, 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 um, oh my God, I almost said. Palestinian. It's not Palestinian. It's Pakistani. <laughs> uh, Pakistani Indian yep. medicine called Unani Tib, and it's um, it's how the 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 biological makeup of people affects their temperaments, right? Hmm. So they've I'm so happy it. that you're explaining this, Ross, because we're so rusty after not explaining it for a month. <laughs> I know, and I've been, I've been, I've been, I don't stop talking about this. So. Um, <laughs> So there are, are four base biotypes, which are based off of the, the humors, the, the, the liquids within a system. So, um, and each biotype is predisposed to um, a certain human temperament. And there's a big conversation around nature versus nurture, right? Which parts of our identity, our personalities, our temperaments are nature and which parts of them are nurture. The Unani biotypes philosophy believes that we're 70% biology, 30% personality. So 30% psychology, which is what we talked about between that 11 and 13. So uh, the four base biotypes are choleric, sanguine, phlegmatic, and melancholic. They're based off of, the, the names are based off of the Greek Arab temperament, so they, they carry the same names. Um, and each biotype uh, values something differently, experiences what we call hiding, which is like if something's not going your way, what's the predominant either emotion that arises or uh, 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 how do you react when, when life isn't going your way, uh, and they, they value certain things. I forgot if I said value already. So cholerics live in impulse. They value results, and they hide or they react with anger. That's not you. Sanguines live in experience. They live in action. They value experience, and they hide in excess. Um, Phlegmatics, I'm a phlegmatic. Phlegmatics live in emotion, value relationships, and hide in sadness. And melancholics, which is Brian, they live in intellect, they value certainty, like intellectual certainty, and they hide in fear. Um, so that's just the 70%. And then from there, you know, each biotype can develop any personality, right? Any, any person can have any personality, depend on their interpretation of the world. So from there, um, at around 11 to 13, you know, you kind of set your, your, at least your first personality because, of course, personalities are movable. While biolo- biology is, is that's your body, you got to live fixed. with it. You can't, yeah, you can't change your biotype. You can, of course, change your personality. So Rodrigo, and we can read biotypes, of course, based off of a, a person's physical stature. Because it's biological, the, the uh, I keep wanting to say lipids, the liquids, the humors in the body actually create different physical features, whether it is uh, face shape, uh, muscle growth, fat, like how our fat shows up within our body. You can actually read a person's Temperament. So you can figure out 70% of a person just based off of their body alone. And then through interacting with them, you could also discern their personality. So that, that's kind of where Rodrigo's expertise is. And his expertise also falls in the world of systemic psychology. So once you're able to see a person's biology, their biotype, and their personality using systemic psychology, you can actually figure out what beliefs may have brought them there. So that's where Rodrigo's expertise really shines. He's, he's the only one in the world that, that does it like this. He's developed his own theories, combining those two worlds of 
pre-existing philosophies, he's developed his own, which is the overlap of the biology and the systemic psychology. So that's the context. Any questions on that? Like, yeah, don't freak out if it sounds kooky so far. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's really interesting. And I love that it's word, you know, words you recognize coming up from, I think there's a lot of that in Shakespeare and everything with like yeah, black yeah. bile yeah. and the huge. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's really It was huge. It, it still yeah. is in the UK. It's one of the countries, well, one of the regions where you still find unanimous doctors. Uh, the thing is, no one, no one took the time to actually pull this into psychology until like the past 10 years when I started studying it. Interesting. Really interesting. So, so you, you have a, uh, he, he gave you your biotype, which was the sanguine one. Um, I'm, I'm 90% sure I still need to see his hands and the length of his arms. That just, <laughs> just for you to know, I know it sounds weird, but just for you to know, like we already work with the government and with universities about this because it is, it, it's a science. I know it sounds a little bit woo woo, but it's an actual science. And we've been able to do things like get corruption down in different uh, boroughs in Mexico that hired us to teach them biotypes and to teach them how to hire the right type of people for the right, like the right biotype in the right place changes everything. Because for example, melancholics don't tend to be corrupt like Mr. Brian over here, but phlegmatics do. I but always now, thought he was he wasn't corrupt. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Good read. <laughs> and sanguins tend to be really good at, at at using their intuition and perceiving certain things in people around them. We also tend to be able to go through something really rough and then completely forget it a minute later when your ex experience changed. Like phlegmatics, like Mr. Ross over here that we love so much and great, gave up an amazing explanation of uh, a walk through all the biotypes. Um, they're not able to walk from one experience to another because they keep their emotions in the first experience. Mm -hmm. Like I actually teach people to be careful with their phlegmatic friends because they're the best friends. They're the best mothers. They're like, they have the most motherly energy in the world. They sacrifice themselves for others all the time. And the well-being of everyone else is always more important than them. So if you call your phlegmatic friends, especially us like sanguines, if you call your phlegmatic friend, a sanguine will explode on what they're like experiencing right now. You have no idea what this person did to me and I will never allow this and blah, blah, blah. And we, we just drop into the experience like crazy. But after we unload, we're done. Like, let's just turn on TV and I'm done. Or look, there's pizza. That's the example that I always give. Like, oh, pizza. And then we forget <laughs> about everything. We're sanguine. But your phlegmatic friend is going to get stuck on that for a month. And you're going to completely forget about it and call your friend again. And he's going to ask you about that experience. And you're going to go like, oh, I completely forgot about that already. But they still carry it in their hearts. And it's something like that we need to be very present with. Because if not, we destroy our phlegmatic friends. That's true. I, I feel like if Ross is around me and something's happened and it's made you like you get offended. Someone sends you a text. It's made you a little like worried or something. I'm like. All right, here we're gonna stick with this the whole time. <laughs> yeah, here I've we gotta, go. I've gotta, yeah. Yeah. I've gotta work it through. I can't just shift out of it. Like they, what we say uh, is that phlegmatics get distracted by emotions the way dogs get distracted by squirrels. It is like <laughs> if if an emotion and comes up, get distracted by squirrels the way dogs get distracted by squirrels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get distracted by everything the way dogs get distracted by squirrels. Yes, it is. It, it, like sanguins are great because if they're in a bad mood, it's so easy to shift them out of it. You just yeah. change the experience. With a phlegmatic, like it's almost I'm, I almost get angry when people try and change my experience when I'm in something because I'm like, no, like I I I gotta flush this out. Like there's something in me. 
And I, I feel my, and, and sanguines can do this too, but I feel my emotions physically in my body. So it's like, it, it's almost like a nausea. Like I almost feel like I, I ate bad food that, but instead of my stomach being upset, my heart is. It's, it's such a complicated thing to say. But anyway. <laughs> You're full of Maddox. Poor yeah. them. I yeah. love them. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're a lot. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, so for, before we dive into anything, what's resonated with you the most so far, Haley? I mean, that makes sense. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, especially what you just said about, you know, reacting to things and then being done with it. Like, I definitely can see that in myself, you know. And with, you know, we've had a lot of opportunity to be enraged by things in the news, I guess basically forever, but especially over the past like like 18 months. And there has been like, it's it's been a weird experience because normally it's easier to change the experience. You can move on for something and get out and do something. We've kind of just had to sit with things more than than at any other point in our lives, which has been which has been strange. And it's like, now I just psychologically feel like it's in unexplored territory right now because the isolation is so, so affecting so immediately. Last year in the initial stages of the lockdown, I, I felt like, if I didn't, if I didn't see people for, you know, five, you know, for, for a week or so, or like, and weren't really talking on the phone and was just texting, it was like, I'd forget how to talk all of a sudden. Like there's a, that is so sanguine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's like a, a big experience of like, wow, we, I, I'm also someone, this might be jumping around a little bit too much. I am really good at being alone. Like I've traveled a lot alone and my job really uh, involves a lot of being alone in a hotel in some strange city. But this was an interesting uh, realization. I was like, oh, I can do that if it's possible to see people at the time. When it's impossible, exactly. then it's a different ballgame. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't he just validating everything I explain about sanguines all the time? Yes, <laughs> and I want to make sure he's not a fake fire promoter. So there, there's, I gave you like the tier one of like, that's the basics of biotypes. But then once you start to integrate personalities and whatnot, there's like a, a second level that we talk about, especially with phlegmatics. Well, because phlegmatics can view their, their emotions as weakness and move away from it in a way like they repress it and then bounce with their personality to, to almost appear as other biotypes. He's a supporting sanguine. Do you think he's a supporting sanguine? You're, you're I pretty can sure. Bet money you on hold, it. Up, hold up your hand real quick for us, Haley. Just right. like this. Yeah, Boom. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Right. Amazing. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I knew. <laughs> yeah, I think supporting sanguine sounds really right, which is. I mean, the supporting part, like that's dipping into the emotions for the actor in him too, which is really that. Helpful. That means you understand your feminine side very well, and you should be very thankful towards your mother. Absolutely, <laughs> I think those sound both sound right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because here's here's what what I discovered. Now I'm gonna get braggy a little bit, but this is what I discovered. Like, be, I, I started as a transformational coach, and, and I started handling really big Zuku groups of people. Like I, I tr I've trained more than 100,000 people in my life, and I had rooms of 200, 300 people. And I was always looking for the best way to cold read people because I feel like it's disrespectful to the team, and you also lose them. If you want to ask 20 minutes of questions for one person to really know who they are when you have 299 people waiting and just listening to someone else's experience. So... I kept looking and looking. I, I went into the DISC study of personality, which is something that we use in coaching a lot. Uh, then, then I started studying psychology because I saw the blind spots of, of coaching. But then I found Unani biotypes, biotypes. And when I found Unani biotypes, it was through doctors that didn't really use this psychologically. Um, 
but they used it medically because we suffer from different things. Like as a sanguine, you probably have a really strong stomach and it usually takes you a while to realize when you're sick because we can take a lot and we wait a long time to complain. <laughs> and we, if we have a fever, it's because we're dying. Like it's already really hot when we realize it. And when we start complaining, it's usually too late. I always brag about this. This is my sanguine badge of honor. I'm legally disabled and I shouldn't be, but I waited to complain about my back for so many years that by the time I said, I have a pain in my back, like half of my spine had exploded, oh, which is man. a very sanguine thing. And I live in a phlegmatic country, so 80% of Mexico is phlegmatic, and they complain about their pain a lot. Really? Like, yeah, be, right off the bat. The distribution of, of percentages, wow, that's crazy. Well, Do, we does really, the United States have one, a dominant yes. uh, type? Yeah, the, the, the biotype that exists more in men in the U.S. is cholerics, and the biotype that exists more in women in the States is melancholics. That's why you have the typical problems and relationships that you have in the States. Cholerics are impulsive and know what they want. And, and melancholics have a hard time explaining their mind. And we are different. And every head is a different world. And why should I explain it? Until melancholics explode because they feel controlled by cholerics. Hmm. And, and cheat on their husbands. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time you were like, France is mostly melancholics. I was like, oh my God, that's like, I love going to Paris because everyone's yeah. like a stick like me and wants to just like drink wine and like discuss philosophy. And I was like, yeah, is that why I love yeah. going there? And like, yeah, that's like yeah. literally your thing. If you we all see love what, what predominant biotype is in a culture, you can see how that culture acts. So we went to Mexico City to visit Rodrigo and we, Rodrigo and I saw a woman get hit by a car. And how many people? An 82-year-old woman, by the oh, way. Oh my god, gosh! And and it was it was I, I'm visioning it now, but like six people ran to her. They immediately just started ripping up a box, creating a splint out of cardboard. A guy took off his shirt, ripped his shirt to tie like something that that was just like I was like, oh, these like you would think like you would do this for a family member, right? It was just like the most phlegmatic thing. Yeah. that you would ever see is like all of a sudden everybody cares about her right um and they they took care of this woman it was it was really kind of amazing in the states again you could look at our culture we're predominantly choleric then the whole number of thing of we're number one is like that should be the choleric like badge of uh, <laughs> like the motto we're number one they, they care about the results very results driven if you look at like you know, are, are the tech industry, the evolution, everything here is about like getting results. If you look at the Japanese culture, predominantly melancholic, very respectful, likes the order. Um, they, they, you know, like have a, a, not a serenity to them, but they, they're, you know, very informationally oriented. Yeah. Um, Spain, sanguine, run with bulls. Yeah. So that's where I need to go. That's where I need to go. Yeah, Dude, yeah. there are people. Go to Italy and Spain because once you understand the genetic composition of the population, like what biotype rules the, the country, the whole country starts making sense. Like the only country that's not corrupt in Latin America is Chile because they're mainly melancholic. That's why everybody's skinny. Everybody's extremely formal. Everybody has two degrees by the time they're 30. And they like, really, when I lived there, because I worked with the president there for a while. And, and when I, when I lived there, the biggest scandal that I saw on, on the news was this guy from the government that gave his cousin a license to drive trucks without him passing all of the tests, just like 80% of them. And I was like, that happens in Mexico every day. 
Like what the hell are you doing? And with no tests whatsoever. But because they're melancholic, they will never tend to act like that. Like if you if you try to bribe a police officer in Chile, you'll go straight to prison and go and you will go out in like five or ten years. It's crazy. And in the same way, if you look at Japan and Asia, if you look at France and Europe, they're the melancholic countries of the world. And that's why technology, order, education, and philosophy are the main things in those countries. But if you look at countries that are mainly sanguine, like, for example, Spain, Italy, uh, specific regions of China, a little bit of Colombia in Latin America that has a lot of sanguines, then what you see is party in excess like crazy. If you go out in Spain, party starts like at 1 a.m. and it ends like at 1 p.m. the next day. Uh, well, that, that same day, actually. Um, <laughs> if you see the problems that they have politically, they, they have a political system in which they've, like, I'm also Spanish and we've been through stages with no precedent just because of how democracy works in Spain. And, and you see people arguing about what's going to happen to the country with no precedent for a year or two. It's, it's crazy. And they built highways that nobody uses and they built airports that nobody needed. They built a bullet train called the Ave, which is amazing. It's, it's, it's a beautiful train, but no one can afford it. So the government had to subsidize it in order for people to kind of use it, even though they're losing money on it every single day. Why does it work like that? Because Sanguins built it out of experience and excitement with no planning whatsoever. Interesting. I think also one thing, Haley, that you might find interesting about it is it's helped me a lot as an actor kind of just understand one, how other actors work, but two, there were some blind spots. I just wasn't able to figure out myself on stage. Like one thing was I, I couldn't really like fall into an emotion or like kind of burst into tears on stage the way I like really wanted to the way really my phlegmatic friends all, all could once I kind of learned about biotypes. And, <laughs> and then yeah. like, once I learned about it from Rodrigo, he's like, oh, you're superpower on stage. I mean, you can learn anything as an actor, but it's like, I'm really good at kind of like, I do stand up. I speak about a lot of big ideas. If I'm doing improv, I kind of have an eagle eye on every, I'm not really in it, but I'm kind of like shaping it. It's just sort of like, because I'm so thinky towards things, it kind of like stops me a little bit from accessing those emotions. Again, you, there are ways to learn how to do anything, mm -hmm. but like, I think because I wasn't able to do it so naturally and effortlessly as my phlegmatic friends, I would really judge myself for it. But I didn't understand that I had this other superpower on stage that once I like kind of you're sort of four steps ahead of anyone that can do that. Mm. Right. Which I then learned it was great in improv and stand up and all that stuff. And then, so then knowing that that was kind of my core and I could kind of move from there really helped instead of trying to like start in the same place. Other actors I know, um, we're able to start that I, I just don't. And here's uh, a really funny thing about biotypes and, and acting. Uh, we've worked in the past with TV networks in Mexico and movie studios in the States just to sit down and explain, like sit down with the writers and go like, if you explain the character to me, I can tell you how they need to look like. And, and something that, that very famous actors have gone through is if you're miscasted, no matter how amazing of an actor you are, if you're miscasted, uh, then people don't experience something that we, that we know as egoic harmony. Like my ego is ready for a phlegmatic to act a certain way, for a choleric to act a certain way. But if you have a choleric playing the role of a phlegmatic, it's going to be really hard for the audience to believe they're acting no matter how good they are, because that's just not how people that act like that look like. Mm -hmm. And this is also the reason why sometimes 
really have like really bad actors that just have the right biotype for the role are extremely successful in one role in their life and they just can never be successful again just on the, just when they casted them to act exactly as that biotype acts that's very interesting yeah i was gonna say another way i think is interesting is animation too like i have a buddy who works at pixar who talks about like you know they describe a character and it's like you know okay, this is what Woody is like, and this is what Buzz Lightyear is like. And they draw all these different versions and everyone, like the whole team will be like, nope, that's not it. No, no, yes, that's what (laughs) Woody looks like. And it's like always a group thing where it's like, that's definitely him and that guy definitely isn't. And it's just because they've explained kind of the personality of it so far. And then you like, you know, or, you know, the inside out. You just, okay. You just gave a great example. Before before we go into that, you just gave a great example, which is, Woody's obviously melancholic. He lives in fear. He has the body of a melancholic. He lives in his head. Everything is, let's avoid risk. Let's not do stupid things. And then on the other side, we have the physicality above a Buzz Lightyear. Obviously a sanguine who wants to take every risk, doesn't want to plan out everything because he's awesome and he knows he can take it, which is the most sanguine ego in the world. It's so true. If we have Woody was a big square kind of... uh <laughs> Like cowboy, and then this like small, like slender uh, spaceman came out, and he was like, it, it, "You wouldn't, as a viewer, you'd be like, this doesn't make any sense. What am I watching here? Like, it just works as it does." But yes, the Inside Out characters are great. Inside Out I mean, is like, brilliant this, because each one of them is perfect. Right? I think they they did make uh, anger more sanguine than choleric for sure. He looks like a controlling sanguine, which we yeah. always say is what. The most, the, most biotype. Biotype. <laughs> the most dangerous biotype. The most dangerous biotype personality. Made him sanguine because he still needed to be likable. If you had yeah. this as like a choleric thing, it would just be scary. Um, yeah. But, but like, yeah, fear is definitely melancholic, me. right? <laughs> and you've got fear the fake is melancholic. Fire is disgust over here. <laughs> disgust is such a fake fire, and and then sadness is pure phlegmatic. Pure phlegmatic, wow. absolutely. Yeah. What, what were you going to say, Haley? You you started to say something. Uh, I just like I think there there are actors that are are well known for being able to do physical transformations and not just you know drastic ones, but little modifications or things with clothing and everything. And I, I bet if looking at that, this would support a lot of these ideas about certain things that people are implying with the way they they dress and the way they shape themselves for a role that supports. Uh, yeah. some some conscious beliefs that people have about you know what certain characters are like. Oh, for sure. Look at look at Christian yeah. Bale in oh, what was it called? The, the Machinist. The Machinist. The Machinist. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. The Machinist versus uh, what he was able to do in Batman versus what he was able to do in Vice, um, or even uh, 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 he fighter, went from he one. went yeah. from crazy yeah. melancholic to massive sanguine to um, to phlegmatic. But wow. he's choleric. And he's I mean, cleric, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Haley, did you ever see Jerusalem on Broadway? No, I never did. Like Mark Rylance, what he does to his like whole demeanor and appearance, I just don't even know. He like becomes a different person, and I'm like, how? How did you do this? But, <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, yeah. you can use it against the audience too. Like, if you want a character to look confused and fake. Instead of acting the asking the actor or the actress to 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 be fake about it, just choose someone from a biotype that would never act like that, and the audience will immediately perceive it as yeah, this person's faking. Like this is not authentic. Hmm. Are yeah. most method actors choleric? I I would say either choleric or fake fire, right? That would well, be the my creator guess. the creator was choleric, Stanislavski. 
and and really? that's why the method works that way. Yeah, I was going to ask Haley, how do you approach roles? Like in terms of you know, as being a supporting sanguine, like when you have a text, do you go into it? Do you want to get on your feet as soon as possible? Like, what's your like way of? Uh, it's starting? it's it's changed over the years, uh, and it's and it's different from role to role. Because um, yeah, there are sometimes where I really do like to get really deepened into the text and really plot out every bead and, and see what's going on with it. But then there are I, there are times I know that I've done that and it's kind of hamstrung me and has not allowed for little unexpected things to come up. That was one of the great things for for um, at ETW for me was just like I had a tendency to always look for the right way for a scene to come out and to try and and get to that point and to really drill down and do that. And sometimes not being afraid to have the scene just go completely wrong leads to more interesting places, you know? So yeah. I definitely let a lot more space for that into, into the way I approach things as time goes on. But there are certain practical um, reasons for, for trying to find the, the best way and to get to that. I mean, God, think of, think of with auditioning about having to guess what, what is right for this, not just what's right for the scene, but what they're looking out of this scene. Even if you may not think that's the best way to approach the scene, it's my God, yeah. mind games. It's just mind it's games. Such a mind game. Yeah. You're a sanguine. You're a sanguine. Yeah. <laughs> All you need to do is just drop into it and make it flow. Like sure. that's your superpower. Haley, do you have a, a moment of like a performance that I guess made the final cut or maybe one that didn't where you were like, I, I surprised myself here and I'm like really proud of this, this choice or this scene? That is a really good question. Uh, I really surprised myself. It's hard to think. I'll think of one before the end of this interview because okay. <laughs> Because there's another thing, it's like today the way things work is sometimes you only get one or two cracks at it. And in that case, you don't want to be experimenting too much with how a scene can go. Mm-hmm. And it's and with auditioning too, if you if you you know allow yourself to do 20 takes of something, you'll find some inter- interesting takes, but you don't want the real big swings or you know, the ones that seem, you know, like you're just trying something to be the the you know. The, the, the only two that you get. So it's, there's a lot of practical considerations. I am um, really trying to, to get into directing some things uh, in the near future. And I think having, having those practical concerns in the back of my mind, while also understanding actors who are really good at just letting it fly, I think that is hopefully going to make me effective at, at doing that. Cause I think I can balance both things at the same time. Yeah. Um, you seem very balanced in like your headiness in terms of understanding stuff and also just yeah. doing, which is, Great. My sanguines. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, so excited uh, with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> trying to, that's, a, I don't know if this is a sanguine thing, but like I, I'll watch my stuff from time to time, but I don't dwell on stuff once it's, once it's finished. A Absolutely. Lot. So I do have to think back on going, okay. Oh yeah, of course. Now I'm remembering from, from the early uh, description of it. Yeah. You, you, you're on to the next experience. Immediately. You know? yeah. yeah. One yeah. thing yeah. that really. So many tr- of your melancholic, actor friends dwell on it for decades. <laughs> for <laughs> decades. <laughs> well, one thing that kind of scares me, because I have, I have definitely, I don't remember my dreams very much or in great detail. Like it's just really snippets of things that don't really seem to have any obvious connection to stuff. But I have had that dream of like, oh, you got to go back and do this whole scene on stage yeah. or something. And I don't remember the lines anymore. Oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I can memorize things really, really fast but um, I forget them as soon as it's done. 
And even exactly. within the same movie, like we, we do, we'll do a scene. I'll, I'll have that down. And then as soon as that scene's in the can, it's like, got to, got to drop it and move on. That is so um, sanguine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. in those dreams, when you, when you feel like they're asking you to do something that you're not ready for, because that's the sanguine's nightmare all the time. What's the emotion that takes over? I, I think that, uh, I am like trying to, to scramble to figure out whether I can take the book on stage or like that sort of thing of like trying to, trying to, to, uh, uh, uh wriggle my way out of this situation and not just go out without knowing. That's, that's what you would do. <laughs> and sanguines live in action. So I completely yeah. understand that. But how do you feel? Um, I'm not not like scared or anything. I nope. I've never had any issues with like stage fright or or any nope. of that stuff. Um God, this is the thing about my dreams though is that I don't I'm not even present enough in them to really to really have concrete feelings. It's just kind <laughs> I'm of sanguine even in my kind of images. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did an episode yeah. of the podcast where we actually had a past life regressionist uh regress Brian uh into a different lifetime where he was a different biotype. Which was really interesting. Oh, wow. here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Charlie in the audience found the person that Brian was being, which was crazy. That was pretty bonkers. Wow. I mean, yeah. come on. We've had I a mean, good I run. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking but, of um, this interview I heard with, uh, with Asif Manvi where he was uh, describing doing Shakespeare and how if you go up in Shakespeare, there's you can't really you get out of it. Like you're yeah. just gonna have to just. And I think that was the emotion I was feeling is just like, well, I'll just kind of go into it and see what happens. Like, yeah, I, I can't figure out what to do. Go up is a is a stage term for forgetting your lines. Oh yeah, sorry. No worries. I'll be yeah, I'll be the context. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the one thing where you can't really improvise through it. Unless yeah. you're the improvised Shakespeare company. Have you seen them, Haley? They are very, very talented. Yeah. Oh, my God. They are <laughs> yeah. amazing. Rodrigo, when you take a real trip out here, we got to uh, take What do you, you mean to- a real trip? I'm up there all the time. No, but I mean like one where you actually have time. <laughs> oh, you mean when I'm not working over there? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Haley, I hate this question, but I kind of want to ask it. But do you have like an embarrassing moment that you could think of like like in your life? You're like, oh, this was a time where I felt embarrassed. Oh, sure. Um, just with staying within this this acting thing, like there's been some auditions where there is conflicting notes, and you go in and and you are doing the wrong. Th- you oh, are not God. doing what they want. One was- just a very simple uh, example of it was I had a really good audition. I went back in for the second round, and the only note was I think this character really needs a flannel shirt. <laughs> or the flannel shirt. I was like, easy, great. <laughs> and then went in and like before, like just before the audition even started, got in. The guy was like, "What the fuck's up with the flannel shirt?" Like in the room, where you just go, "Oh, now I'm thrown." Like, was this a test or something? Like, how does this always happen? Where because what what really happens often, you'll have you know a director and multiple producers and you know the network or the studio all with different things they want and they're trying to figure it out and they're gonna throw it all at you and you have to kind of try and find you know divin what the what the what the right answer is so that can yeah, be, I feel like be embarrassing it happens all the time where you're like you know you get an audition you like practice you're like i think i got i think i fully nailed this character and then like you start to like <laughs> stop 
Okay, do like the opposite of what you're doing, and you're like, uh, okay, I was that wrong, huh? Okay. Or, or when you, uh, uh, back when, God, are we ever going to go back in? Like, is that ever going to happen again? I don't know, man. It sucks, it's crazy. man. I hate, I hate recording at home. And me too. Uh, but uh, where you sit in the hallway and the walls are always very thin. and are so thin, the thinnest walls doing. ever. <laughs> yeah, thinner than regular wall are those. And sometimes you'll hear it and you get to go, okay, I've, I, like, I, I'm happy with my choices. And then sometimes you'll hear something so completely different than what you're doing. You're like, yeah. well, that sounds wrong to me, but is that what they actually want? Is that what they want? want? Did they like, like it? Did yeah. they like Should I, I try and split that? the difference yeah. between some rant? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's a mess. I, yeah. I always say when I audition in New York and go in those rooms, I feel way less talented, but way more attractive. And in LA, I feel way more talented, but way like, like in New York, it's like, oh, look at these. That is such people. an amazing Europe, description. But they're like doing these complex, amazing auditions. And in LA, I'll go for like nerdy best friend. And I'm like, who are these fucking gorgeous men? <laughs> then you like hear them audition. They're like, "Oh, you big three. Yeah, Got it. Okay, well. <laughs> that's always nice to hear. You go, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You in one category. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I got another. I got another question for Haley. Haley, um, what is a role that you you were either offered and passed on and wish that you took, or a role that you passed on and were happy that you did? Or a role that you wanted but went to someone else. So I'm going to give oh, you like great that. Great question. Sure. Uh, they all happen in in various degrees of frequency. There's, I mean, quite a lot to pass on that you can feel absolutely confident. And what happens over time is that you have to read so many damn scripts, even even with an agent and a manager screening, the, you know, bad ones and ones that are not worth looking at. You're just reading sometimes you know, a script every day practically. And, and you get to a point where you're like, there are certain things I see that I feel confident passing after like five pages. I was about like, to say, this like how many like, pages do you I give see it certain things yeah. happening? Like I can feel okay. of not, not spending the time to, to finish this. Um, I, I feel pretty lucky that there hasn't been, I can't even think of one that I've passed on and regretted it. And then with, you know, there's, pl- there's plenty of role. I mean, they didn't cast me as uh, as the Christian Bale Batman. I mean, who wouldn't yeah. that role? But you're there's plenty of that. things that you don't get that, that yeah. you're like, I understand why I wasn't offered this role. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but over time, like, um, I, don't, I don't know. I think, and when it comes to things that I... There hasn't been any like there's when people say like what's a role that you want to play and I was like I mostly think about genres and stuff because I like to be surprised by a script. It I mean you act it best about my preparation technique. It all comes down, you know, through the whole process. If I read a script and I'm into it immediately like I'll get excited about it. Like if I'm if it's fun to read this script and I'm not reading it trying to imagine a way that it could be good that's when you know it's going to be something interesting because there are okay scripts that turn into good movies like it's possible to do that but when you get a script where you're like this is the blueprint like let's let's go like that's always really really exciting to to read um so yeah like i've i've always wanted to do um uh action stuff there was one i was gonna do that got ruined by covid this year so that was that was very that was straight that was, action uh, action comedy like what's uh, the what's the dream are you thinking uh, like uh die hard or or more of like oh a, God, a any, game any over of those, man 
any of those because there's i mean i've done action sequences for movies that weren't necessarily action films and like it's just fun to do those stuff something where where they would uh make you train and learn all that like you know what bob odenkirk did for that movie which was so cool nobody and can you can you believe like that the industry we're in, somebody like that, it still took him years to get people. He was saying it took him a long time. They had to do their own market research to show that it would be a successful it would work. movie. That yep. Nobody you can know. just be like, oh, I can I can see this working. Like, no, you have to do the work yourself. I think the way to show us how to market this if movie. If you pay for it, you can do whatever you want. You yeah. just have to get your own money for it. I've been trying yeah. to get Brian and Haley, maybe you can help me with this peer pressure. Um, I think it's time for Brian to direct his feature film. I, yes. think I will after I write it. I, no, I, I, no. I Stop <laughs> You're melancholic. Yeah. If you keep waiting, it's going to take three lifetimes. Nick and I are working on something, okay? It's All right. Be- nice. We, we're ready for the Brian, but eagles are turning people into horses too. Have you seen that one? Haley? Have you <laughs> yes, seen this? Yes. Eagle? Yeah, okay, yeah. Now, wait, I, I want to know something. What is it that you see? Because this is not my world at all. So what is it that you can see in a script in the first five, five pages that makes you go like, yeah, not this one? Contradict. This is right in you guys' wheelhouse. Contradictory character descriptions that yeah. are not interesting. They're just nonsensical. Like things, uh, things that you know someone is. Um, someone has read a classic screenplay and is trying to just do exactly the, the blueprint that that screenplay did. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, the thing that 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 really, as an audience member, not just as someone looking for a job, is like I I just get bored with the sameness in a lot of things. Yeah. And despite the fact that there's more content than ever, you're just like, I know what's going to happen in this show already. That's really frustrating. Yes. Oh my. I, That's why foreign yeah, films I, I and foreign so TV many- shows are like yeah. breaking it. Well, we say breaking it in Spanish, rompiéndola, but like being extremely successful in, in, in the mainstream, I feel. And it has a lot to do with they're not made out of the same formula. And that makes them interesting and surprising. And, and we love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many pilots I've read where it's like I, another group of friends trying to hook up. I, or that's it. Yeah. What else? No. Yeah. I got here. Like, that's another I mean, Pat Noswell thing where he goes, will they? Probably. But it's, it's just hard to get, you know, the money to take the leap with something where there isn't a proven formula for it. And I just think we're seeing a, a gradual, not with everything, there's tons of good stuff out there, but, but a lot of stuff where you're like, this is only getting made because they've, they've focus grouped it to the very inch of its life, you know, where we have a built-in audience that is used to this and we can point to these shows that it's tracking and you're like, yeah, but then we know it's going to happen. So, they, so are you, do you want to do studio stuff? Do you want to do more indie stuff? Because I feel like indies, can get away with like at least a little bit more of, you know, less focus grouped for sure. There was a type of, of mid range indie that I uh, really like to hang around in that has kind of been killed off uh, these days. Um, And a lot, or or just lower budget studio films. Or or who was saying, Matt Damon was saying this, you know, an an A-lister like Matt Damon saying he used to live in the, mid-range studio budgets making interesting dramas for adults and that doesn't exist the way it used to it's just there's just not you know things have been spielberg was saying this in some interview where it's like in the future you'll go to see if we're going to see movies at all 
you know, Iron Man five for $50 in a crazy studio seat that, or in a, a theater seat that moves, or you'll yeah. go see, I think this, he was doing Lincoln at the time. He was like, or you go see Lincoln for $10 at like a small theater. Like everything is just going off. And yeah, it's very much. Honestly, I don't think that that's a mm. bad idea. Different price because no. I went and saw Spider-Man and the seats rumbled and I was like, this is cool, but it's so different than watching West Side Story where I sat and cried in the seat for about 10 minutes after. Though, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that, why are we talking like, about this movie again? You haven't seen it yet, bro. That's why. You got to you gotta go watch this film. I, I cried, and I thought I met Steven Spielberg afterwards, but it was just the guy that was trying to get me to come back to his car. It's very... Okay, guys, please tell me that you already... Please tell me that you guys already watched Don't, Don't Look Up. Yeah, I yeah, I, yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Please, I, I've been trying to watch it but I, the person that I want to watch it with has been postponing. So, it but I bad reviews, and then I watched it. And I really liked it. I loved so it. Sad. And Neil deGrasse Tyson, without revealing anything to Russ, oh. Neil deGrasse Tyson just tweeted like a couple of days ago, I think, that it's not a movie; it's a documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 how we're acting. I'm I'm disappointed. Yeah. I'm I'm a, a wary of seeing how quickly reality will outstrip it in its absurdity. Like, I know. I feel like yeah, this year could go really far off the rails. Much. Like I don't want to see this again. I'll strip our absurdity. Done a hundred times in the past year. Yeah, you know, yeah. The movie is amazing from this past year. It's called Coda. It is a little indie film. Oh it's, yeah, it's, right. Coda is an acronym they told for me child child of deaf adults, and it's like. It's a little bit formulaic, like indie little film. It's a girl who has a deaf family, two deaf parents and a deaf brother, and she's hearing able. And wow. it's like all deaf actors. And she was 17 and she wants to be a singer. And she's like dealing with the idea of like, I want to go off. And she's kind of the interpreter of her family. So she's dealing with like, how do I leave them? And also I want, I have this big dream that they can't even be a part of. They can't hear mm. me. And it's like, it's really it's a, just like a kind of a cute family movie that's like packs a punch. Like it's wow. really, you want a good cry. It's, it, it's feels like, it feels like a very melancholic movie. Maybe. It's just, it, it, I think it's an everyone movie. It's really sweet. I'm going to watch We need it. to make a blockbuster that's uh, separated into movies based on these. these yeah, types. where did the seats rumble during <laughs> <Yeah>. Coda? <laughs> I want to know. Yeah, the seats rumbled. <laughs> yeah. uh, my my favorite is a low bass note. Is going to those 4DX films. I think I saw uh, it there, and because the like pistons or whatever have to warm up before there's a jump scare, you just know when something's, yeah, something's coming. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, about to get a jump scare. <laughs> I watch these two people in front of me because there's like well, one of the things they just go back to is like water dripping. That can be blood. That can be you know uh, ectoplasm. Where, where are but these two people didn't realize they could uh there's one in union square in new york and there's one downtown in la at la live dude we have like 10 of them in mexico city the way they drip on wow. you yeah, yeah there's what you can turn off the water but i watched two people who didn't realize what was happening and didn't realize they could turn it off so the whole movie you're just like <laughs> why is this happening clown is spitting on me this yeah. spitting. mexico has mexico is one of the like largest consumers of of movie theaters in the world of watching movies in the world so we usually have and there's also a lot of money laundering that's what they say in the movies that we built <laughs> so imagine the technology we have in this third world country when it comes to movies 
But the crazy thing is I've only been to a movie in a 4DX once because of my spine. Like I cannot take it. That that bouncing oh, around. Yeah, no, I keep true. pushing my body upward so that the seat doesn't push my spine up. Uh, uh, like it's not dangerous for me, but but it's not comfortable for me. But we have oh. a bunch of them. And we they do throw water at you riding. and mist and everything. It mi- oh, oh, I thought you said they threw water at you and they missed. No, 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 I missed. <laughs> there, different movies have different degree. Like some are really detailed. I think it's when the movie has actually thought about it in advance and not yeah. when they're putting it in after the fact. To right. Yeah. No, they're going to do it. But uh, for Fast and the Furious, or no, maybe it was Winter Soldier or something. You could you could smell the cordite when they're firing guns. Like they had oh, wow. smells that Whoa. came out. I was like, all right, no. that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, awesome. in sixth in sixth sense in Mexico, they they actually made the movie theaters colder. I don't know if they did it worldwide. Really? Oh, that's yeah. great. Oh, well, that was like, the like dead before they were doing, doing that through. too. Yeah, that's what that's, what? That's before they were doing that too. Like, yeah, they, but you know, all all they did because the studio asked for it in Mexico. I know it because I worked with one wow. of these large movie companies in Mexico. Wow. Uh, I trained a lot of their of their staff and. Um, they, they they told me like I, I got up to them and I, I I watched that movie in the theaters probably five times like I'm such a fan and um I remember I was really cold every time I was there and they gave extra blankets because yeah we <laughs> give blankets in movie theaters and they give extra blankets on that one and I was like hmm that's that's very interesting and I asked them and they told they told me yeah the movie studio in Mexico asked us to to make it colder and it made it made people be way more focused on the movie and then when you mention it about the temperature and everything then suddenly people start going like holy shit and looking around like crazy <laughs> wow the theater yeah, it was really there crazy. were only That's three cool. people that bought tickets Ooh, spooky um, <laughs> do you want to give a little uh note to Haley what a supporting sanguine means and what that is yes how that- well, let's add Haley. Do you want to know what a supporting segment is? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, right, right. Get to the second level. Let's ask him first. Okay, let's get into some level two stuff. And if you want to hear the level two and Rodrigo's deep dive into Haley, go to patreon.com slash RGP development where you can hear full versions of all of our episodes as well as join us for these live recordings. And you'll get to ask whatever questions you want to our awesome guests like Haley. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Want more Biotypical? Well, good news. There's a longer version of this episode available at patreon.com slash rgpdevelop. There, you'll also be able to find ways to get on the podcast yourself, ask questions, as well as watch a live taping remotely. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and subscribing. Remember to rate this five stars wherever you're listening to it. And we'll see you next time.